Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, church. Good morning to those who are listening online. Uh, we thank God for being in this house again today, worshipping him, praising him. And um, I just want you, please, uh, before I start, to um, just take a minute, please. Just take a minute, stop whatever thought process you are having. And uh, I want you to think for just a, less than a minute, your relationship with God. Your relationship with God. Where is it at? I'm not expecting the answer, obviously, because it will take the whole morning, but where is it at? Do you feel excited about it? Are you still in love with Jesus? Or are you going through the motions? Just a minute. It's between you and God. Where I stand this morning, I stand as a facilitator, and I stand as someone who I believe God can use and will use, hopefully to his glory. But I just want you also to have that connection with God. We've gone through a great time of worship, and thanks to Mel and the team. It's excellent when you can be in the house of God, be approaching the throne of grace, being led to the throne of grace, bowing down and worshiping the king. But you know, there is a manner in which we do that. There is a manner that is called worthy of the children, of being a child of God. And there is a manner that is proxy worship, but it's not worship. It looks like worship, but it's not worship. Thank you. And I think it's important that, thank you, as we open the word of God today, we also have that mindset to receive. Because Christians are very good at going through the materials on the internet, through many devotion books and materials, but yet not growing their faith, yet being unable to push to get to the extra miles that they need to get to. And today I believe that God wants to speak to you and me about the relationship that we have with him. Each and every one of us, who is called the child of God, who is called Christian, who is called a saved by the blood of our Redeemer, is meant to have a relationship with God. Now look at your direct neighbor. Okay, sorry, Steve, you have nobody. Can you look at your direct neighbor? Just for half a second, I'm not saying start blinking your eyes. I'm saying just look. And then turn to the other side and look. And I'm not asking you to make compliments. <laughs> now, now, look at me now, please. Do you trust the person you just looked at? It is either yes or no. It is not in between. Do you trust the person you just looked at? Well, nobody can answer. It's, it's unreal. We are, we are the family of the children of God, and you cannot tell me I trust the person I just looked at. Thank you. All right. Here we go. Can you actually close your eyes now? 
there are not children in the house. I say, close your eyes. It's a simple instruction. <laughs> All right. Do you trust God? Okay, good. Are you trustworthy? Well, okay, that's less sure. Okay, you can open your eyes. God wants us to talk today and to go through, and I will go through what trust means in our relationship with him. It's incidental that I was preparing this sermon this week, and my wife and I had a very open discussion about trust. I'm not going to tell you the outcome of that discussion. It's not the point. But we had that discussion. And then, outside of that discussion, I just say, sweetheart, uh, we've been married for a number of years now. Am I the same? I'm not going to give you the answer. Because that's what you want to know. But that's not the point. You've known Christ for a while, each and every one of you. And when you've come to know Christ, you've committed to following him. You have committed to pursuing him no matter what. And I repeat it. You've committed to pursuing Christ no matter what. And the first question I asked you this morning was, where are you at? Because you should be able to make a frank and honest assessment as to where you are at. Do you trust God or do you not trust God? And I'm not talking about just raising your hand for the sake of the Snapchat. I'm asking you to really look into your heart and answer that question. And before you go today, you will need to have answered that question. Because incidentally, many people do not trust each other. We are in a society where there is less and less trust. And if there is no trust in any type of relationship, that relationship is doomed. That relationship cannot progress. It will be ailing, and unless trust comes back very, very quickly, the relationship cannot thrive. We want to look at what God says about trust. Because yes, we've given our life to Jesus, but there is more to it. There is a race to be run. There is a walk to be walked. There is not just a song to be sung. There is not just, you know, a kind of hand to be raised. There is more to it. And Christianity is a bit more complex. At the same time, very simple, but a bit more complex. Why? Because many people do not put the right ingredients into that relationship. I'm afraid if you are in a relationship today or looking at being in a relationship and you don't invest into that relationship, you know what the result is going to be. You might still finger point as to why the relationship has not worked or is not working, but there is an element where we have to invest ourselves into that relationship. In our relationship with Christ Jesus, he invested himself to the point of death. He invested himself to the point of death. That you and I, this morning in this auditorium and those listening online, could be saved. Christ has done his bit. And guess what? He continues to do it. What about us? So we want to look into the scripture today, and I will take it from the main scripture. For the sake of the title, we have Trusting God Matters. 
And we will take it from um, the book of Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. And the scripture also, an additional text is John 14, 1. And as I pray and as we start, uh, we go through the word, I want you again, some of you can start quoting the scripture right away. If I say Proverbs 3, 5, 6, you, can, you know it off head. It's something that you recite. It's something actually that helped me move into Cambridge, to tell you the truth. Because God led me. But it's not a recitation. It's not a recital. It's not something to just be said without substance. God is a God of substance. He's not doing fluffy stuff. We are not here for fluffy Christianity. We are here for the real thing. And if you cannot get the grasp as to why God wants your trust and wants you to invest in that relationship, then you need to reconsider why you are a Christian. It's not just a matter of attending on Sunday for a social club. We are not a social club. We are a place where God has called us to come, worship, fellowship in truth, in spirit, in love, in relationship with one another. So where the first or the second question was, look at each other and tell me what you see. And you cannot say trust, then we've got work to do. Because the Bible says that by loving one another, by seeing the way you love one another, then people from the outside world will look at you guys, will look at me, and we know that we are the disciple of Jesus. So it's not just a matter of sitting here pretty and being comfortable that yet another Proverbs 3, 5, 7. It's not it. If we want to believe that God is speaking, then let's heed. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Father God, we give you praise, Lord. We give you glory. We give you all adoration. Father God, I commit myself before you. I commit your children before you. And I pray, Father, that you will come and move in our midst. That, Lord, I will decrease that you will increase, O Lord. That, Father God, your word will come out of my mouth with the authority and power that you have ordained from above. And I pray, Father, that the hearts of your children that will be hearing this word today will not just be limited to the first few words that come out of my mouth, but they will be indeed pursuing your love, your spirit, your presence in everything that they do. Father, open hearts. Break those that are hardened and help restore those that are away from you right now, Lord. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's open our Bible. Let's open our Bible. And um, we've got quite a few things to go through, so we'll try to, to wrap it up. Let's open, first of all, to, G, to uh, John 14. John 14, verse 1. I know we've got it on the screen, but I will give you a minute. John 14, verse 1. I will actually read a little bit more than verse 1. Um, just to give you a little bit of a background in there, this is one of the most important uh, pieces of scripture because Jesus is having his disciples with him having gone through a lot of, you know, heartbreaking discussion. One of these discussions is effectively Jesus giving them a bit more of a confirmation that the days are numbered, is about to be betrayed, is about to be taken to the cross, is about to be nailed at the cross, is about to fulfill a mission. The purpose for which he's come is about to come. The, the, the clock has turned. 
It's not a 24-hour clock is turned and his ministry is actually accomplished. So he's having that discussion with those that have followed him for a number of years. Those who have seen him do miracles, those who have seen him save people, pray for people, heal the sick, restore the dead, and those who have seen him feed thousands of people um, on a couple of fish and, and breath of uh, and loaf, loaf of bread. But Jesus told his disciples now, guys, I love you. I really love you dearly, but I'm about to go. So this is the message is broken to them. Think about the mindset of Jesus as you communicate to one of your closest friends, your spouse, your partner, your best friend, your mate, whatever you want to name them, and you are communicating, I'm about to go. Whatever the reason, think about the way you will communicate that message. It's not necessarily happy clappy, isn't it? It's not going to be necessarily joyful. There was a joy in the heart of Jesus because he knew he was fulfilling a mission. But many of us, when we are about to leave, even just to go on holidays or to leave families behind or business trips or whatever, we have families and relatives who, who, who feel disappointed, who cry. My, I went to Preston this week for, for a workshop uh, on Tuesday, and my son was crying for 10 minutes, and I couldn't get out of the car. And I was like, well, you've never done that. Is it that I'm not coming back? You know, who, who, what, what are you reading there? But that's relative. Those who have been on the journey with you will feel with you. They actually think about what's next. What's really next? You know, we've seen great things happening, and now we are at a point where the future is uncertain. It's bleak for the disciples. Make no mistake about that. It's very bleak because their leader is about to go. Now, they still don't know how, how bad, how um, it will happen. They, they understand, but they haven't seen it. I mean, even we that read our Bibles and see how Jesus was crucified and go and read or see that movie, The Passion of Christ, some of us are hiding our faces like if we are two, three years old because the danger is coming or Jesus is going to be killed. We can't support it. Some of us start crying before the last scene of the movie. But this is not a movie. This is real life. This is real stuff. These things that matter. This is a life that's going to be taken away to fulfill a mission. So Jesus has spoken to his disciples. And then he's going on 14. One, he said, don't let, don't let, please don't let. It's almost him begging them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Not your mind. I don't really care about your mind. The emotional things matter to me, but right now the heart, that heart that I've seen, that heart that has received my word, that heart that is hungry for me, that heart that seeks after me, that, that is doing everything to go after me. You've been so faithful, but let this heart not be broken. Actually, I'm breaking it. That's the news I'm giving you, but let your heart not be broken. Make sure you keep it. Fine. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. So that should point to us where we are going with it. Because the only way the disciple can ensure their heart is not broken is by putting their trust in God. There's no a second way about it. There is no a second solution. And some of us today are in this place with broken hearts. Some of us are in this place today with you know, difficult finances, difficult relationships, difficult marriages. Some of us are here today sitting there and clapping during the worship, but our lives are in turmoil. Right? And God is saying, don't let your hearts be broken. Can we say amen to this? Don't let your heart be broken. It matters to God 
how you're sitting and how is your heart doing. It doesn't matter. So he tells them, trust in God. And then that's why it's even more confusing. Trust also in me. Now, for those who are actually debating on the Trinity, I'm not the person who will be giving the answer. All right? Or is Jesus God? Is God Jesus? Is there? These are debates that we do not want to get ourselves into. The triune God is the one God who saved us. End of the story. Okay? He said, trust in God, trust also in me. I will encourage you that this is Christ emphasizing that he's the one and only God. He's emphasizing and he's telling his disciples that, look, you've been with me throughout this time. You've seen me doing miracles. You've been trusting God because you knew that he was foretold of my coming. You heard about it. You read the scripture. You saw the scriptures. You went to the synagogues and all these things. You knew I was coming. But you trusted in God because you trusted in the oracles of God and the prophets and the men and women of God would deliver that word to you. You accepted that word. So now I'm about to tell you something. The same God that you trusted is the one that you have actually been seeing. And is the one who is telling you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, trust also in me. So the trust issue, and I may say that there is a trust problem. There is a problem statement that is called trust in Christendom. There is a problem of trust. Because God, Jesus Christ himself, is telling you and is telling me, trust in me. Trust in me. Is not the beginning of John. It's recalled in the middle of the book, central to the teachings of John and the recollection of the deeds of Jesus Christ. And he comes saying, trust in me. Is he saying to the disciple, you haven't trusted all that way long? Or is he actually saying to the disciple, focus, guys. That's when it all matters. That's when it all starts. What you've seen behind... What you've seen before is nothing. Leave it behind. This is a new day. This is a new journey. This is something else starting that I'm starting in your midst. It's ahead. Because the mission is ahead. Because life is ahead. Because ahead is the realization of prophecy. Because ahead is the successful running of the race of life. Because ahead are souls to be won. For my kingdom. Because ahead is the promises that Christ will go and come back and bring his people to him and reconcile them for an eternal worship with God in heaven. It's not behind, it's ahead. Trust in me. Trust in me. Let's open to Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord. Thank you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Can you please look at John 14, 1, the first four words, and Proverbs 3, 5, 6, the first statement. The word heart is in there for both of them. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Do not rely on what you've seen. Do not rely on what you've tasted before. 
to tell you on how to move forward with me. In all your ways, whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you aspire to do, whatever your plans are, whether they are short-term, long-term, even medium, acknowledge me. You're not just saying, uh, you know, you have these apps where you can give a wave on Messenger or whatever. It's not that app. It's not where you give a wave to God to acknowledge God. You give not a wave to God. You actually say, God, I'm here and I'm listening and I'm ready and I'm prepared and I want more, more, more. It's not just that. Say, acknowledge me, acknowledge God. Then God in return will show you which path to take. We know the scripture, but I want us to break it down a little further. So let's go to the trust problem. I made a statement earlier that I believe we all have a trust problem. So what I've put in there is effectively my own statement in plain English, hopefully. I say we have a trust problem with our maker. Now that's the one we don't want to admit. And actually that's the problem. Because if we admit, it's actually half resolved. We have a trust problem. Some of us are sitting here and have never really acknowledged Jesus more than... It's never passed the first side of their brain. It's never come down into their heart. It's never come down into their lifestyles. It's never gone beyond the head ascent of what Christ has done. But if we do not have a trust problem with God, then on the contrary, we will serve him with all our hearts. Soul, will, life, resources, with everything we've got. So we've got a trust problem. Sorry for those who are colorblind. It's not meant to actually make you feel bad. But I just feel that when I go through my struggle in life, many a times it's because I do not fully trust God. And there is nothing like fully trust God. You either trust or you don't trust. It's what scientists call binary. It's one or the other. There is no in-between. The Bible says, behold, God is not mocked. So we cannot mock God by pretending to serve him, pretending to trust him, because he knows at the end of the day. He has our heart as an open book. You and me, we sit there, he knows what you are hiding. <laughs> you cannot hide from God. You say, where can I go, O Lord, from your presence? You think that you do things in darkness and God doesn't see you? You think that you gossip behind the scene and God doesn't see you? That's not the God you serve. He's another idol. That idol has no ears. He has no... He's Dagon, right? We talked about Dagon before. He comes and prostrates before God because he's just a statue. But your God has ears. He has eyes that go deep down into your heart. Whatever you hide. We talked about that before. You cannot hide anything from God. So when you say God is all okay and God knows that you are struggling, it's still a lie. He wants to hear, God, I'm not okay. I, I need you. So the God that we serve is the God we sees. When things go wrong in our life, we should be able to say, Lord, we need help. When we fail to trust God, we should be able to say, God, reset us. Because I need to trust you. I can't live a life without trusting you. That will be pointless. You know, it's like my brother Steve used the, the word last time, running on empty tank. Yes? That's it, right? So you run on empty tank. Okay, your gauge is showing that you have fuel and you accelerate. And then you hear a very bad noise and your engine has gone. But you stay on the middle of the road. Because you think that you can't do things. It's not the case. A lot of what goes wrong in our relationship with God 
is because we do not trust him enough. I'm happy to stand corrected. We're all learners of the Bible. But from my experience, that's what I've seen. So when it comes to trusting God, men tend to tell God, show me and I will trust you. God is always saying, trust me first and then I will show you. Trust me. Because that's what he's asking for each and every one. The first call, when Jesus Christ comes to your life and says, hello, I'm Jesus, he introduces himself to you. He's telling you, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who was called from heaven and came down to give you that handshake, to welcome you into my kingdom. Though I look like a shepherd, I am the king of kings. Though I look like a nobody, I'm the almighty creator of the universe. When he comes down and gives you that first handshake, his hand is not sweaty that you want to remove your hand from shaking his hand. He's not panicking by your outlook. He's not put off by your lifestyle. He's just coming to give you a hand. And by the time you respond, then he brings you to him. How many of us are still not responding today? How many of us are still waiting for Christ to keep on stretching his hand? We've received that hand first. We are the privy of God's love. But then we, we do like if it's never been given to us. And we look for excuses to say that he hasn't come to us. Christ has come and reached out. Come in. We look at this. God is saying, trust me and I will show you. How many dreams have been broken because we failed to trust God? We fail to obey the instruction of the you go, you stay. You do not concern yourself with this matter. You do not get involved in that. It will hurt you. It is not for now. It is for later. I have good plans, good thoughts for you to prosper you. But hold on. How many of us are, I can do it myself? I don't need you, God. Actually, I will need you to be on the back seat, but I'm driving. The key reason that we have is, first thing, reliance on self. You know, we are in Cambridge, and I want to believe that most of us are literate, and not even literate. They are on the high scale of the IQ. Um, I can see some smiles, so it's true. I must say something that is true. So we have clever people in the room. Hallelujah. Very good. Your dad and your mom did a good job. But your dad in heaven know before you came that he would give that IQ. He knew he would give you that strength. He knew he would give you that special ability. He knew he would put you in that position. What he didn't necessarily know, or he knew but he did not want to tamper with, is how you will respond along the road. There are twisty roads. There are twisty turns. There are windy roads. There are temptations. And we see ourselves and think, I can do it. I don't need you, God. I don't need you, God. I have all what I need. I'm fine. Just stay away. I'm good. So reliance on self is the problem number one. Dependency on others is what I call the problem number two. Because when I have a problem, a headache, just a headache, I call my wife and I say, can you give me something? You are the doctor, tell me. But God is the greatest doctor. All right? When I have problems in my bank account, I call a friend. Yeah, you, you top me up. All right? There is the direct debit this month. But the friend is probably as broken as I am. And secondly, he's not God. 
when I have a problem in a relationship, oh, I can see that person. They seem to be doing well. Okay, I will go to them. Are, are they really doing well? How do you know? And even if they are doing well, the advice they will give you is not necessarily godly. What do you expose yourself to? We have friends in high places. They can open the doors for us. They can do things for us. They can push buttons and things happen. You know, there are sometimes a kind of electric shock where the button is pressed and nothing happens. Because ultimately, God is the one who is in charge of our lives. Whether we like it or not, he's still the one in charge of our lives. He's not given us a sad nav. He's given us the time to read his word, the mouth to pray, the heart to cry out to him for direction. And that's why Proverbs 3, 5 is written. That we need to stop relying on our own understanding that friends are better than God. That though they have traveled many times, though they are in high places, though that they are much learned, even sometimes much learned in the word of God, still can make a wrong interpretation. We are all humans. Why don't we seek God first? I like Danga, but Danga who preached last time about it. Because he said effectively when we are struggling, let's stop seeking that special word. Let's seek the word for ourselves. God speaks. We are all children of the most high God. He said, dear children, do not be troubled. Life. What's the problem with life? Is that life is, is an unknown. I know somebody talked about Forrest Gump. It's like a box of chocolate. You never know what you will fall on. I know that. I like Ferrero Rocher for that matter. But ultimately, they all look the same. So that I know what I will fall on. I always choose the one that have the same color. They are the golden color. It's praline. It's like Nutella. And I love it. Well, sorry for that. I had some sometimes in the office because I can't bring them home. I'm banned. <laughs> sorry, I'm admitting. That's deceit, isn't it? That's human being for you. Um, but the reality is life throws so many things at us that we do not control. It throws things that throw us off the hook. Just last month, I lost four different people in my family. Side of my mom, my direct uncle, my cousin, her husband, the mom. I, I lost trout. Four people. It's, it's not two weeks. Saturday morning, I wake up. Oh, praise the Lord. I look at my phone. So and so has passed on. You don't know what life throws at you. Some of us is relationship. Some of us is bad news. Some of us is, is a news that will actually completely tear you apart. And others is children. We are concerned with how they evolve, how they are growing, how well they are doing at school. We've never anticipated our son to start having to deal with bullying at six years old. Very gentle soul. Very happy child. And all, for all of a sudden, for three weeks in a row, being bullied at school. Oh, God, you are waking us up. So how do we, uh, how do we feel as aggrieved parents? We've got to run to God. But there are also people you can approach to pray and support you in prayer. But life can throw surprises. But you know what? All these surprises are not unknown to God. Nothing surprises God. God is always in control of the timing of everything that happens to us. Because by the time it happens to Job... God knew that it would happen to Job. There was a wicked schemer that kept on going to God. Can I do that? Can I bother this guy? Can I actually show you that he will curse you to your face? But God knew that he could trust his servant. Can God trust me and can God trust you? 
on the little and on the great. You are doing a great work at church. Can he trust you with the treasury or do you want to be a Judas Iscariot? Can he trust you in serving with your heart, not on reward, but on worship? Because we have a tremendous, a great team here. And people don't always acknowledge them for what they do. And I want to say that this church will not be where it is today if all the people were not putting their hands to the plow. So I just want to also really thank all the guys who are working tirelessly in this church for what they do. I can't reward them, but God will. Okay? It is important to understand that life can throw things at us. And sometimes the reaction we have is to become distant. Because it's our caving in situation. We don't want to face the problem. We don't want to deal with the issue. We do like the ostrich. That's not what God has asked us to do. Then we have worries. We have anxieties. Then we have suffering. We have suffering. Suffering is so much invisible. But it has so much effect in our lives. Suffering cannot be quantified by just a single discussion over a Costa coffee. Suffering is much more than that. Suffering can manifest in body, bodily harm, pain, emotional. It can be bringing people to, to tears. It can let people have dry eyes. But it sucks life out of you. And unless God is there to push it back and feel it afresh, feel it again, suffering may actually make people go away from God. So, some people, what they do, I suffer too much. God, why did you allow that suffering? But can I just say something, brothers and sisters? God never said, never, ever did he say, and bring that word from the Bible, if you see it, that life will be easy. He never, ever said that there will not be any suffering. If anything, he said that the same way he suffered, the same way he suffered, we will suffer also. Right? That's what Christ said. Sin is another one. It's in red just for the color coding. It means what it means. When you do project work, you use to these colors. Red. Yeah, you can't ignore. Those who have red jumpers, by the way, nice jumpers. <laughs> They're really good. But sin is not good. We know what sin does. We know it destroys. And Sin does not allow us to trust God. So if you have a relationship with a friend, just a good point in case, and you've gone all the week gossiping, that's the noise of gossip, I guess. <laughs> you've gone that way for all the week about your friend. Do you know what you do first thing when you see your friend? Oh, I'm so pleased to see you. Oh, by the way, so-and-so say that about you. But that's one, so it's never me. Now, you, don't, you, are not, you cannot really trust that person. You, you are not really trusting that person because you are not allowing love. And trust and love and faith are all together linked. In the kingdom of God, you cannot love God if you do not trust God. And you cannot love God if you do not have faith in God. It is important that we understand that all these things struggle, are struggles for us. So I want to go through some examples in the Bible because we have notorious characters in the Bible. People have encountered the same things that we suffer with. When I'm saying, are you trusting God? 
and you think that maybe I'm coming from something that is not happening, let's look at the example of Eve. What is the problem of Eve? She struggled to trust God's plan. She gave into the temptation because she wanted to know more. That's as simple as that. No matter why she took that fruit, she struggled with the plans of God. And the plans of God were to not touch. This is not for you. It is not part of what I've created you for. But she struggled. And the Bible tells us that she was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. What are the kind of things that you desire today that God has said do not touch? Even if you are in a relationship and you are not married, God still says do not touch. It means what it means. Hands off. Back off. Right? He's not going into the corner, in the room, and doing whatever people who are married need to do. He says, back off. He says, do not touch. But you have more wisdom than God, so you touch. And then somebody becomes pregnant, and after the relationship is broken. He says, do not touch. And when God says, do not steal, it means do not take without asking. That's what theft is. You take without asking. So, oh, well, it was just a sweet mom. No, 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 no. You have taken without asking. Oh, it was just your check that I signed, sweetheart. Sorry? Did you refund the account? That, that's irrelevant. Sarah. Sarah did not trust God's promises to bless her with a child despite her old age. What did happen? She laughed at the promise that God gave her. She laughed because she had passed the age for natural ability to conceive. And the man of God, the Lord said to Abraham, why did she laugh? By all means, brothers and sisters, laugh, but don't laugh at what God says. It's important you do not laugh and you do not underestimate the power that comes from the mouth of God. Can I just very quickly take you to Miriam and what she did? I know I'm jumping. But Miriam is the sister of Moses. And she's a very clever woman. And she actually is protective of her brother. Who will not be? He's handsome. He's the appointed of the Lord. He's leading nations to victory. So she's probably jealous of that relationship with Moses. What does Moses do? Okay, he goes and gets married to an Ethiopian woman. All right, happy days. She's not happy. You did not ask me for permission. And then she goes with a statement that the Lord himself is not very pleased with. And she goes and says, can the Lord only speak to Moses? As in, we too can be spoken to. She challenges the authority. It's not a brother. It's the appointed of God. It's the anointed of God is the man who is called the deliverer. As of that time, Moses is, Miriam is not. You play a support role. You are in the cast, but you play a support role. She's not. What does Moses, uh, God does? She goes and speaks to Aaron. Oh, yeah, yeah, God can speak to us too, you know? God comes out. The three of you come out of there, naughty children. Come out and straight, as soon as God goes, she's caught in leprosy. Right? In leprosy instantaneously. 
That's a leprosy, and the Bible recalls it is as white as anything. So she is effectively on the point of dying. Because she knew too much, she was on the point of dying. She didn't understand that the brother was not the brother. He was the appointed man of God. What do we say about our leaders? What do we think about the instruction? What do we think about visions that are articulated, not only in this church, but generally? Oh, it's not the spirit of God. I know better. Oh, actually, I've been there and I can preach better. I'm not meant to be eloquent. In fact, I don't care. I'm meant to be the right convey for what God wants to say today to your life. Amen. So whether I have a bit of French accent or from Brittany or whatever, <laughs> doesn't matter. All right? It is what God dips into your heart and how he makes it work into your heart. That's what matters. So let's not be Miriams. Let's not think we know better. And if you have the gift to preach, and if you have the gift to do things, please, by all means, speak to Pastor Phil. He will give you the room. He's a man who understands how to manage gifts. Pastor Phil, we miss you. He's preaching somewhere, probably, or he's on holidaying, or what are you doing? He's... Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> right. But it's important. Agar is another example. She struggled to hold on to the hope you know, Agar is an interesting case because <clears throat> just because she, before she struggled to hold on to hope, Agar is putting her child next to a tree and is expecting the child to die. She no longer trusts God at that point. Her eyes are not on God. She's been difficult to Sarah, but she's now on her way out. She's crying. Her child is going to die. I mean, any mom will do that. Even fathers will do that. But then she's sitting and then she doesn't want to look. She looks away. I don't want to see this child dying. I'm out of strength, out of resources, out of hope. I don't have any, 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 any way back. She forgets that God promised her, not this, Genesis 16, 10. He promised that he will multiply a descendant exceedingly so that they shall not be, so that they shall be counted as multitude. That's God's promise. And I guess the point is this. When we go through life events, we forget the promise. We forget the promise because life is in our face. We need to be dealt with now and then. We need to take action. But this world, she forgot. So the child is there, probably weak, but he's not dying because God has not said so. What's the situation in your life that looks like the dying and that you have already given up on and that you think that God has not promised and that you think that God does not hear your prayers. Which one? Oh, oh, I can see. For us, it's more than one. Maybe five different things. But why are you losing hope for? Which God are you serving? And it comes back to the title of the message. It matters to trust God. So these are examples in the Bible. Jesus is now speaking to his disciples. And he's telling them, please Trust in God, trust is me. And these are words that we know. Look, I'm not sure what today is going to be about. I don't know. You may lose your job. You may lose your homes. You may lose everything. You may lose your children. You may lose your marriages. You may lose your dreams and hopes. It, it can happen because, you know, that's life. You may fail courses and you think that that's it. There is no way back. You know, you may not have finances for, for, for um, you know, um, paying your school fees or paying the rent. You know, the God I serve and the God you serve, the God who is your father knows that what you have need of. He knows it before you ask of it. 
It knows very much where you stand today. It knows very much whether you want to push further in the area of trust. Right? You have to speak life into situations, but before you even speak life, you cannot speak life if you are empty yourself. You cannot speak life if you are not in the spirit, if you are not understanding the things of God, if you are not communing with God. It's not a Sunday exercise. It's not a Monday exercise. It's every single day to feed on God, to feed on his word. It is important that we understand that those who trust in their Lord will never be put to shame. I've been old and I've been young, and yet I've been young and I've been old. And yet, I think he's been turning the past 40. The Bible recalls then that I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants. So he's not limited at the righteous. He's even the descendant of that righteous person. The Bible says they are not begging for bread. Right? Yeah, I would probably shave. I will cut the white hair, but look. Sorry. We have a trust problem in our maker today. But as children of God, we have the honors to turn that around. Because if we have a trust problem, we cannot communicate very well the gospel to the people who are actually completely disoriented. If we have a trust problem in God, we cannot communicate the gospel that God asks us to communicate. We cannot show the love that God asks us to show. We cannot go deeper into the things of God to grow. He said, you ought to grow. You're still on milk. You ought to grow. Develop yourself. Press on. Dig deeper. Build yourself up. Build your most holy faith. It matters to God. And it's not God who is going to do it for you. That's not a night thing. It's not just do it. It's consistency in the doing. It's consistency in the journeying. It's consistency in the seeking. It's digging deep, deeper, deeper in the things of God. It has only one reward, which is you being in the will of God. And he says everything. He says everything. So having known that we have a trust problem, the next question is how do we then address that trust problem? I want to talk about the disciples very quickly. I want to really talk about them. Let's go back to John 14. You see, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, there is a very interesting element in John 14. You should read 14, the whole chapter, effectively, if not the whole Bible. But 14 is telling you something very, very key. Jesus is known to have 12 disciples, okay? And he's telling them, please trust in me, believe in me, have hope in me. Can you actually look into what it says? Um, and sorry for the team, I haven't given you the scripture. But can we actually look, look a little bit further on verse 5? Actually, let's take it from 4. So Christ is telling them, and you know the way where I am going. Who is coming to the platform now saying, no, we don't know, Lord. No, we don't know. Thomas, our dear friend Thomas. Is recalled as the doubting Thomas. God is just telling him something. Christ is telling him what will happen. And he knows because he's been in the making of that plan. Christ himself. And Thomas is, no, Lord, we just do not have the direction. We don't know. That's a way of doubting. It's a way of distrusting the word of Jesus. It looks subtle. It looks like a genuine query. But it's Thomas. 
you always doubt everything. Can I say to you today, don't doubt everything God says to you? Don't have the reputation of challenging everything that God says to you. Have the reputation of accepting and obeying. It's important. And he said, no, Lord, we don't know. How can we know the way? I.e., it's almost a rebuke. God is the one who took them. Jesus is the one who trained them. Jesus is the one who empowered them. They went out, cast demons, came back rejoicing. But he's the one saying to Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. And you say, we know the way. No, we don't know. Now, let's follow. What, let's look at what happened again. Verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you will know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, next in line is Philip. So, already is two disciples out of ten, out of twelve. And they are, Philip is like, Lord, show us the Father. Christ has just told him, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But he goes back and says, Lord, show us the Father. And we will be satisfied. We've seen you doing things, Lord Jesus. We've heard you. We've heard your voice. We've seen your miracles in our lives, in our families, in our business, in our finances, in our relationship, in our children. We've seen your, your, your miracles in our health. But we still do not believe in you. Can you please read this? He say, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. There is an element in terms of satis- satis- you know, being satisfied. What is satisfaction? What is spiritual satisfaction? Because we're not talking about earthly things here. How much satisfaction, um, satisfaction do you have right now concerning the things of God? Are you satisfied about your, the lover of your soul? Where do you stand? Because Philip has followed Jesus. Is it not as bad as what Judas did? Because he's telling Jesus, after all this time, I'm yet to be satisfied. So two things here. Either he's not being following Jesus with his heart, he's just being there for the ride, and being happy to be part of a group of people who are renowned in town for doing miracles and signs and wonders. Maybe that's, that's, that's what he's happy to be part of. Or then he's really short-sighted. Then the revelation that Jesus gave to his own disciples around, yes, I am the Christ. I am, I am the Christ. I am the one who was meant to come. Maybe he was not there. He wasn't at that meeting. He missed the prayer meeting. There was a revelation there. Why is he asking Jesus the immediate line after Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, Jesus is quenching any kind of noise, any kind of doubt, any type of lack of assurance. Yet Philip comes back and says, no, no, no. It's not good enough for me. Now, let me ask you, what is good enough for you today? When are you going to be satisfied about what God is giving you? At what point are you going to say, it's time for me to stop complaining, to stop being dissatisfied because of the way I see my life going? And trust God for the journey he's taken me on. Because there is a lot of dissatisfaction out there. There is a lot. On social media, you can... I mean, social media is so... Social media. I don't even know how to manage a Facebook account, so my wife will help me on that. 
the only one I manage is LinkedIn. But even on LinkedIn, 500 plus relationships, contacts. Have you ever been in need of a job? Then you realize that every single of the 500 contacts are. I'm not saying the word. So what is LinkedIn for? To show that I can wear a tie? And, hello? And put my job title. Trustee, King's Church, Cambridge. <laughs> Elder. <laughs> what for? God has given us a job here. And we should not make any mistake about that. He's given us a job. It's not about us. It's about his kingdom. And along the way, we look after us. Because he does. The Bible says, God cares for you. He cares for me. And it's important that we realize that if we do not trust him, then we are not even giving him that opportunity to care for us. Amen? Can I have the band back, please? There is a woman in the Bible whose story is quite telling. And you all know this story, and it's the story of the Samaritan woman. In fact, I will forget about my notes. I think they are pointless right now. It's the story of the Samaritan woman. And... That Samaritan woman is, is a woman who, I, I will dare to say, has lost all hopes. She's lost all hopes. Why has she lost all hopes? When you read the story of the Samaritan woman and the encounter she's got with Jesus at the well, you understand why she has lost all hopes. She has had five husbands. She's living with one, the fifth one, who is even not deemed to be her husband. So it means that she is a woman who has gone through a lot of heartache in her life in terms of relationship. It is a woman who has exposed herself to all sorts of men who have taken advantage of her. And she was living in a small community, so she would have probably been a finger pointed at this low-life woman. And she is probably broken. But you know what? If the fifth husband, I will hold on to him. Life will, life will be life. I will move together. And then, what is even more telling, she goes at the well at the time that is noon time. Back in my country, when women go to the well, it's 5 a.m. It's not noon time. It's 5 a.m. because they need to make sure that they can actually have time to go back home and prepare. Get the house sorted, get their chores done. Looking after the husband, looking after the family. They, don't, they are not on holiday. They don't wake up at, at, at 12 to go to the well to get water. She's probably done that because she didn't want to be in contact with those who in the community kept on finger pointing at her. Low-life woman, adulterer. So she was broken. She goes to the well thinking, I'm just going to get some water. Nobody will see me. I'll probably have no interaction with anybody. Actually, who cares about me? And we are sometimes in that situation where we think, <laughs> who cares about me? Who cares about me? Who knows me? You come to church every day, you go, you come back, we don't know your name. You don't mingle because life is life, and then I have no time. And she's a nobody in the eyes of the community. And she goes to the well. These five marriages or five relationships will have lasted, the Bible doesn't tell us, but let's assume 20 years. Her husband every five years. 
I'm not sure she's impressed about her track record. I'm sure she will want to hold on onto a relationship. But she's broken. And she goes to the well. She goes to do her chores. And the Messiah has seen her head. He's seen her. He is not known by her. But he knows her. And sometimes some of us think that we are not known by God. Because of what we're going through. But God knows us. And she goes to the well and has a life-changing encounter. She starts arguing a little bit with Jesus. You're a Samaritan. You guys are Jew. Don't even bother asking me for water. I'm not giving you water. She's arguing. She doesn't know what she's talking to. Jesus is not rebuking her. He's very patient and very loving, as he is always. Do you know that even in our darkest hours, Jesus is still the same? It's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's always loving. He's always caring. He's always supportive. He's always standing, shaking, trying to grab you. But sometimes we say we don't want, Lord. And so he's saying, do you know the one you are talking to? Do you know the one you are talking to? So do you know the one today who is telling you, trust me? Do you know the one today we're saying, you've done and I've seen you. You've gone and you've come back. But I've seen you. And I know that you've been unsteady in all your ways. But just acknowledge me this once more. Just acknowledge me. Just try. Just open your eyes. I'm here with you. I want to be part of your journey. Because I've called you. You've just not answered the call yet, but I've called you. And she figures out. God gives her the revelation. She knows who she is and she gets saved. On the dot, she gets saved. You have an encounter with Jesus, it's always for the better. It's never to undo us. The Bible tells us God who hasn't got plans of evil for us. Never. He's always got good plans. And whether we trust his word and whether we hope in his word or not, doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change his perspective on us. It doesn't change how much he wants to rescue us. Is God. She goes, and that woman who is pointed at, that woman who has a broken life, that woman who is, told, is called adulteress, this is the woman who is becoming one of the greatest evangelists in the region. Have you heard, have you seen, this man told me all things that I've done. Come and see, come and hear. Oh, well, this woman has probably not, got nothing to do. You know, this kind of neighbor of, no, 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 I don't want a close. People opened their doors. They invited Jesus. Because the evangelist had initially gone there to do the work. And they respond. And then they go and tell her, you know what? We no longer believe because you told us so. We believe because we've heard ourselves. This is a woman of low life that had no hope, that had no life, that had no support, that was despised that. And Jesus said otherwise. What is it that you are going through that you say there is no life, there is no hope, there is no walk around, I'm down, I'm sinking, fast and deep. There is no hope. What is it? Because the Bible that I look at and the God that I serve tells me that there is nothing impossible for God. That's what he tells me. He's just saying that you who are heavy laden, just come to me and I will give you the rest that you need. How many of us are exhausted here? How many of us feel dried? How many of us feel that we can no longer continue that race? 
How many of us feel that it's too much? It's draining us. I can't see God. I can't touch God. I can't feel. I can't smell. I can't sense. Where are you, God? How many of us feel that, you know what, our life is just passing us by? That's from the enemy, okay? Let's be clear, it's from the enemy. Because God said, I have come that they may have life. I have come that I may take them with me so that they will live in abundance. Amen. Today we have a choice to respond. And it's always our choice to respond. Always. The situation of life do not dictate our response. We control that response. I want you to stand up now, please. We've talked about trust today. And we talked about the ingredient of trust to a certain extent. What do we need to do? I would say the first thing is to maybe be practical about things. We should really be practical about what life is about. Because being practical means that we apply the principle of God in our situation daily. And the Bible says that those, those, those principles of God, they are there to remain forever. They don't change. But they are life-giving principles. And the reality is that we cannot apply them if we do not know them in the first place. So what do we do to know them? We go into the world. The perfect law of liberty. And the Bible says we continue in it. I want to ask you not to give up. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, he will support, he will strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. He didn't say... You will not suffer. He said, when and when you have suffered. For a little while doesn't mean for two days in a row. For a little while doesn't mean for six months in a row. For a little while means a little while. Because with God, a day like a thousand years. And it means that a little while can take you more than 12 months in a year. But he said, after you have suffered a little while, he will pick you up. He will wash you. He will strengthen you. Don't ask God, why are you going through that? Just ask God, God, Jesus, give me the strength to go what is in front of me. Because he said he will not allow you to go under what you cannot handle. So just ask God, God, I need your strength. Where it's too tough, just shout. Shout, Lord, I need you. He's the restorer. 2 Peter 2, 9a says, The Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. I know we want to go now, and I'm going to close. But he knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. If you think about Daniel in the lion's den, that's what God did. Because where or not did that accusation come from? He didn't know. Where or not did that come from? The first thing is that he is one of the highest authorities in the land, and the next, next night... As opposed to sleeping into the Hilton Five Star, he's in the den of lions, the lion's den, right? With lions ready to devour him. But what Daniel did is this. He did not look at the lion. He did not stare at the lion in the face. The lion was staring at him, but he did not. He looked up. So does it mean that where you are today looks like a cage? Where the enemy is ready to prowl, to destroy you, to kill you, to 
to stifle you, to destroy your family. That's fine. That's the enemy's job. He does it. We've done it in the beginning of time. But you have your eyes to either look at the situation and the enemy, or you then look up to the Lord who has made us. As the mountains around Jerusalem, as the mountains around Jerusalem, the Bible tells me that so the Lord surrounds his people. So the Lord surrounds you. He's given that shield already. But again, do we need to trust it? Or do we want to push it aside? Your call. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.